Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your great, 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 uncle, your neighbor Steve, your pet golden doodle, anyone that has a question. I'm Courtney. I'm one of the librarians you will be trying to stump if you choose to submit a question today or any day. I am joined by the lovely Emily. Hello. And our librarian behind the computer, Jill. Hello. And we are ready. We have three questions ready. But before we dive into the questions, we took another test. We we just really like taking personality tests. It's pretty fun. And Jill had a great one today because it was very important because we got new microphone covers. Woohoo. And they were colored. So in order to figure out who was going to have which color, we took a quiz that tells you what color your personality is. And I got Jill's right away. I knew what color she was before I even took the quiz. So Jill, what color are you? I am blue, which is dependable, practical, and rule following. A hundred percent correct. That is that is Jill. And we love her for it because if Jill wasn't organized and rule following we would not have an outline for our episodes every week and it would just be and they're important i literally just paused us from starting this recording (laughs) so i could open up my outline yes because i need it it's very important emily what color are you i am green which is peaceful serene and accommodating that is also very accurate i didn't know what the attributes for green were going to be because i feel like sometimes they can be different greedy yeah yeah I feel so I didn't know if it was gonna be that so I didn't want obviously Emily is not a greedy person I didn't want to say that but my color is the color purple and attributes of that color are creative expressive and emotive which is probably why my voice fluctuates the most when we are recording I have a lot of highs and lows and Jill and Emily are pretty steady Um, when you, when you look, when I look at the audio file, I know when I am talking and when they are talking. I did just realize that like green was my color, but then my next two colors were purple and blue. Oh, kind of cute. (laughs) We are such a good family, but let's get down to business. Jill, hit us with that first question. Okay. This question comes from Jean, age six from our Cantwood branch. And the question is, why do giraffes have such long necks? All right. What a great question, Jean. And before we start, I got to give a shout out to one of my best friends who's not in this room. Um, these two are also my best friends, so I have to feel like I have to make that disclaimer. But <laughs> my best friend, Jen, from college, she is obsessed with giraffes. And every time I see a giraffe at the store, I have to stop myself from buying it for her because, one, she might already have it. And two, she is a married woman now and maybe doesn't want to fill up her home with giraffe paraphernalia. But anyways... This is an excellent question, Jean, and it is still stumping scientists. So we look for the information for these questions, and Jill is actually the pal who found the information for this one. So if a scientist is stumped, we are also stumped. But we're going to share with you some fascinating giraffe facts and the four theories that scientists have to answer your question currently. Um, But since this did indeed stump us and scientists, perhaps one of our listeners We'll study this someday and come up with the answer. That's the coolest thing about science is we are constantly learning more, changing how we view things as we gather more information. So first things first, giraffes 
are herbivores, which means that they only eat plants. They are so large that they spend 16 to 20 hours of their day eating, and Emily, guess how much time they spend sleeping. Okay, so I do need to say, just for our listeners, that um, Courtney and I have talked about this. I do not work well under pressure. And again, she asks me these questions, this and is it is Jill. stressful. So here we go. Oh, that's Thank right. Yes, guess. that is Jill. Um, I'd say... A, a matter of like an hour. I don't know. Not Wrong. that long. Five to 30 minutes. That's not enough. That's not enough. That's not but enough. I guess it is for them. Um, and they don't even do it all at once. So they take like little naps, even while still standing up. So like nom on some leaves and then, oh, I'm getting tired, sleep for five minutes, and then nom on some leaves some more. Well, it seems like, yeah, if you're only sleeping for that long, that it takes too much time to have to get on the ground. Especially considering how big they are. Like, that's a lot of time and energy wasted. So giraffes are found in the wild in Africa, in woodlands, grasslands, and the savannah. And they are so tall, and their necks are super long. And a typical giraffe neck will have a neck... Sorry, a typical giraffe will have a neck that is longer than six feet, and it is almost half the height of their entire body. So they're like at least double the height as all of us in this room. So it's almost like together. It's like if Emily stood on my shoulders. And then you cut me in half. (laughs) No, if you stood on my shoulders, then we would be as tall as a giraffe. I was thinking just the neck. I'm I was thinking that like my neck would have to be like go up to like my waist almost. I mean, like, if I if I were going to take my head off and measure my neck, it would go up to about my waist, which this is, is getting, not practical. This, this is, is getting dark. Um, so we're going to move on. They also have long tongues, which are about 19 inches long, and they are purple in color to protect them from the sun's UV light. So if they're constantly, like, eating during the day, their tongue is being exposed. So that's a good thing. Um, wear your sunscreen, kids, but don't put your sunscreen on your tongue because your tongue is not exposed to quite as much sunlight. Anyways, um, so Emily, how do you think the blood gets up their long neck from their heart? Because their heart is still in their chest, which is still, you know, like six feet down. I imagine it just has to be like a really massive heart to pump all that blood. Woo! You got it right. They have a huge heart. Their hearts are about 25 pounds and two feet long. So bigger than a baby. Um, And they have extra thick walls to pump blood six feet up that long neck to the giraffe's brain. And before we get into the theories about why their neck is so long, here is one more fascinating fact about their neck. They have the same amount of vertebrae or small bones in their necks as humans have. We have seven vertebrae in our necks and so do giraffes. So why isn't my neck six feet long? Well, each of their seven vertebrae are much longer than ours. In fact, most mammals have seven vertebrae in their necks, but a mouse who is only about four inches long in the neck, unlike, of course, the six-foot neck of our giraffe friend. So, but why is their neck so long? Here are the four current theories. The first theory is survival. This is the theory that giraffes who are able to survive in the harsh, dry climate where they have lived so long are the giraffes who can eat the food at the topmost branches. So over time, giraffes' necks grew longer and longer, and they evolved, and those are the giraffes that we have today. The other theory is it is a way to impress the lady giraffes. So male giraffes 
do this wild fighting when they are trying to win a mate. It's called necking. And the male giraffes will literally slap their necks onto each other. And it's it's pretty brutal of an experience. It doesn't sound fun. I don't recommend you try it at home. Um, the theory is that the giraffes with the longest necks win. And so win the lady and have more giraffe babies with long necks. It should be noted that giraffe necks have thick blocks of muscle, which protects their spines. So that's why they can do necking, and you should not. We do not have those thick of muscles. Also, our necks are not that long. They're not. So please, no neck fighting. Um, And the other theory is to maintain their body temperature. Their long limbs and long neck help them to stay cooler in the hot African climate, which is where they live. And the last one, which I think is the most important one, is to spot predators. You can't survive if you get eaten. Um, giraffes can fight predators with their necking method, so hitting them with their neck, but they also have strong legs. But it is best if they can spot the predator far away, and then they have the advantage. So they could run away if they have the time, or they can get ready to fight with their necks. Um, but scientific answers aren't always just one simple thing. It's likely that giraffes develop their long legs for all of these reasons, and maybe even a reason that we haven't discovered yet. What we do know is that their long necks have puzzled scientists even from ancient times. And then one last final giraffe fact before we move on. Did you know that a group of giraffes is called a tower? I didn't know that, but I do love it. I think that's a fantastic name for them. It still doesn't beat the fact that a group of crows is called a murder. Murder. That will always be... Top of the line. Also, cats being a clouder. That's a good one. That's a fun one. But, all right. Well, thanks for that question, Jean. Miss Jill, do you have a fun fact of the day? I do. And this fun fact is from a book so new that you can't even check it out of the library yet, but you will be able to soon. So put it on hold. It is called Behind the Scenes at the Zoo. And it's a very colorful book, and it's a lot of interesting facts about life at the zoo, behind the zine, behind the scenes. This fact is about the oldest scientific zoo in the world, which is the London Zoo in the UK. It was open to the public in 1828. That kind of surprised me because I, wow. I thought maybe some zoos would be older than that, but... This is, this is it, the oldest one. The London Zoo had the world's first reptile house, the world's first insect house, and the world's first public aquarium. That's a, that's a lot of things. I, I wouldn't think it'd be so sophisticated. It is, so maybe we should uh, plan a trip there. Yeah, I think that sounds good. I'm down. <laughs> I'm always down. All Are right. we ready? Ready for another question? Yeah. Okay, always. here we go. This question comes from Anna, age 10, from Wyoming. Why do humans have two sets of teeth? So I get the pleasure of answering this question, Anna, and it is a great question because you are spot on. Humans do, in fact, have two sets of teeth. Um, Animals with two sets of teeth, like us, are called diphyodonts. Um, First, of course, we are born with no teeth, which is simply perfect as uh, babies get their nutrients from the milk from their mothers in general. Um, And adding teeth to that makes it both hard on the baby and hard on the mother. So it's good that we're born without them. But then your first real set of teeth, which are called your deciduous um, or primary teeth or baby teeth, they start to erupt around six months. And these teeth 
are very important. Courtney, can you think why these teeth would be so important if they're just going to fall out and you're going to get bigger, better ones later? That's a tough question. Um, I mean, if you have to wait until like your adult teeth grow in, then you're stuck eating like mashed potatoes and baby food. So you kind of need yes, those. Which, teeth. while delicious, doesn't really give yeah. you the nutrients. It doesn't have quite the nutrients you need. Yeah. So you need something to be able to chew with, I would say. That's definitely part of it. Um, truly, the point of these teeth are, are training wheels. Also, if you got your big adult te- teeth when you're six months old, your um, jaw is not big enough for uh, those teeth. So you get these small teeth to start with because that's the space that they'll fit in. And these teeth help you um, form speech, form like language um, in your mouth. You also get to learn how to eat with them. Um, again, they give your jaws the guideline for what's to come when you get your adult teeth. And probably the most important aspect of baby teeth is that we learn how to care for our teeth when they're like our baby teeth Mm. and that helps us know how to care for our teeth when they are our adult teeth which we don't tend to lose when we're adults unless something happens as we grow our jaws do too and teeth that once fit well well in the space start to take up less space so you kind of get like gapping and it doesn't quite Mm -hmm. chewing is a little bit different and talking is a little bit different um but it's just making more space for our adult teeth while our adult teeth start coming in around six years and when they do they begin pushing those baby teeth out and all those great skills that you learned around your baby teeth you get to use and keep uh, your adult teeth healthy and strong so having two sets of teeth is super important but there are animals that have even more sets of teeth and they're called i think i'm saying this right uh, polyphodonts. Can you think of any animals that have more than two sets of teeth, Courtney? Sharks. Sharks. Sharks are one. Sharks, 100%. For sure. They've got so many sets of teeth. Um, manatees yeah. also have them, kangaroos mm-hmm. and elephants. And I think the kangaroos and elephants, it's more their molars, but that's uh-huh. definitely important for them. Then we also have animal friends that have one set of teeth their whole life, the monophodonts. Can you think of any animals that have just one set? Um, a narwhal. Narwhals do. They're, they're big old narwhal um thing on top of their head. That's a that's like a big old tooth for them. The unicorn of the sea. That's right. There's, um, maybe cows. I don't know. I don't know about cows actually, but platypuses, sloths, walruses, seals, and dolphins also like platypi and sloths are always like an exception to most rules. Oh, for sure. And, yeah, they're <sighs> they're real interesting creatures. They are. Um, but yeah, they just like with. With like beavers who have to gnaw and yeah. kind of like smooth down that front tooth because it just keeps growing don't their most, whole life. Don't most rodents yep. have some, something? Yeah, they'll have out. that big front tooth that they need oh. to, to gnaw down. So there you go. That's, that's why, some facts that's on why, teeth. That's why beavers are so busy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> ah. All right. Who's been re- – was that all you had to share about yeah, teeth? Yeah, that was it. That's what so I had. So many fun facts about teeth. The human body is a fascinating – Thing. As you have learned and we have learned from other podcast episodes, make sure you take a listen to those. But who's been reading a book? I have. I've <gasps> been reading a lot of books. They're all from like the same um, uh, writers. They are the science comics books, Ooh, which are those. so fun. Yeah, they're like graphic novels. They're they're laid out just like comics, but like you're learning along the way. Mm-hmm. Um one that I have most recently read as of like a few days ago, I read it online. It's the uh, science comics about dogs, which is a lot of fun. You get to learn um, about like the origin of dogs that like approximately 25,000 um, BP before the present dogs were starting to like 
become a part of our world, which is pretty wild to think about. Um, so yeah, it, Everyone should also know that we are big dog fans. On we're, yeah, we're big. We're big dog fans. Yeah, this was a definite must read for me um, when I saw it. But they've got books about like trees and whales and sharks and it all crows. Kinds of crows. They have one on crows. You can learn more about murders. Yes, which are groups of, of crows. crows. Yeah. Yes, that's right. So this is kind of a cool series. Um, they've got all sorts of stuff. Definitely check it out. I like these. All right, Jill. Last question of this episode of the pod. Lay it on us. Okay. Here we go. This question comes from Charlie, age seven, from our Tyrone branch. Did the same person invent ice cream and popsicles? That's a great question. I'm hungry now. Yeah, now we all need to go and get ice cream or popsicles, whichever your favorite is. The first thing you should probably know is that popsicle actually refers to a specific type of frozen treat produced by a specific company. It's kind of like how when we want a tissue, we sometimes say a Kleenex, even if the tissues you have aren't the Kleenex brand. So it's like, you know, Chapstick was another example, things like that, where you just associate this brand with this item when it's not. Chapstick is lip balm. Like, that's the name of what it is, but everyone calls it Chapstick. Anyways, um, it's the same thing here. Not all frozen treats on a stick are a Popsicle. But most people use the term interchangeably, and the invention of popsicles is actually a really cute story, and they were invented completely by accident. So picture it. It's California, 1905, if you will. A young Frank Epperson left a glass with a mixture of water, powdered soda mix, and a wooden stick for stirring outside overnight on a chilly evening. And when he awoke the next day, he was pleasantly surprised to find the mixture had frozen. And once he was able to get the frozen treat out of the glass, he knew he had created something wonderful. He started making them for friends, family, and neighbors, and he originally named this concoction concoction Epsicles. was taking his last name. Um, but later on in his life, his when he had children, they soon talked him into the name that we know and love today, popsicles, coming from the phrase pops, icicles, pops, icicles. Um, in 1923, Frank filed for a patent on his ingenious idea and shortly partnered with Joe Lowe Co. By partnering with Lowe, Frank was able to bring popsicles to places like amusement parks, where you definitely want a popsicle on a hot day of riding definitely. roller coasters. Um, and the very first popsicle sold for Emily. What do you think? This one is my uh, fault. Sorry, uh, a penny. Oh, you're so close. It was five cents. Mm. But I like the idea of calling them like penny pops. So, oh, that is good. Yeah. Maybe they thought of that. But it was five cents, and they came in seven flavors, including cherry, which is still the most popular. Um, Jill, Emily, what's your favorite flavor of popsicle? I like the outshine popsicles. Only because food die. And I like the lime. That's my favorite. I actually also like the lime. That, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It's like a little uh, little zingy, a little sour. I like yeah. it. Yeah, that's What fair. about you, Courtney? I like blue raspberry. Uh, you know, I want the ones that taste the least like a fruit. <laughs> um, as long, But as long as it's not grape, I will eat any popsicle you give me. I can't. I can't do grape. Um, do you guys like the ones in the plastic packaging that you have to sometimes wait until it becomes like liquid and then you drink it? I do, but sometimes oh, I feel like it cuts the side of my mouth. <laughs> that is not a popsicle. You're right. That's it's not a popsicle brand. It's a, it's a, yeah. And it's not it's a, a popsicle because pop. it's not on a stick. Oh. They have to be on a stick because 
he patented it, but I'll get to what his patent was in a minute. Um, but in the Great Depression is when that double popsicle became the biggest thing since sliced bread. Maybe I, I'm assuming sliced bread existed in the <laughs> 1920s. Um, maybe it was at the same time as sliced bread. Um, but that meant that you could have two popsicles for the price of one, which when money is tight, having those two popsicles you can is have important. one and a half popsicles. Another person <laughs> Another gets person half gets the popsicle because you yes. cannot tear those apart correctly. No, it is a skill. It's up there with like punching the straw into your Capri Sun. Yes. Like it's so a skill hard. not all of us have, but kudos to you who can break a popsicle properly. Um, I'm sure they, they learned how to best do that back in the Great Depression. But anyways, there's also some drama with the patent, which was, and I quote, for a frozen confection of attractive appearance, which can be conveniently consumed without contamination by contact with the hand and without the need for a plate, spoon, fork, or other implement. Um, this patent also included specifications for the best type of wood to use for the stick. If you're curious, it's wood, bass, birch, and poplar are the most popular and best. Um, but the popsicle faced competition from Good Humor's frozen sweet treats because they were also on a stick. Um, Good Humor did end up suing Lowe over this debacle, and the courts basically said ice cream treats, and we'll get into a little bit about ice cream later, um, on a stick were in Good Humor's control, and any water-based frozen treats were what Popsicle could sell. Um, of course, the limits were pushed, and eventually Unilever, which is a giant food corporation, bought out both brands, so then it didn't really matter um, what frozen treat we call and whether or not it's a popsicle or not. But we still call most frozen treats a popsicle, even though technically speaking, only if it is water-based. So that's why you have, like, fudgesicles. Oh, that's how you get around yeah. that, probably. Cream I bet sickles. that's what started the drama. Like the creams, like adding yeah, sickles sure. to anything. But anyways, now on to ice cream, which is my preferred out of the two. I like ice cream the best. Um, but ice cream has a much longer history um, than popsicles do. So popsicles are relatively new. They've only been around for a year or so, a little over a year. A year. Oh, my gosh. I can't talk. Over a century. So that is a longer time than a year. It's a century. Um, But according to the International Dairy Foods Association, the origins of ice cream can go back as far as the second century of BP, so before present. And honestly, no one seems to agree on where ice cream came from. You know, they didn't have Facebook that, like, reminded them that, like, five years ago you had this for dinner and then you cringe at the fact that you shared with all of your friends that you had pizza for dinner that day. But anyways, I digress. Um, one source talks about the Mongol Empire being the first. Another is that it originated in Persia. There's stuff about the Roman Empire. Um, also, a little bit later, Marco Polo came back from the Far East to Italy with a recipe for a sweet treat because Marco Polo is a real person. He's a real He's person. Not, not just a game you play at the pool. Um, and that in England, a sweet treat called cream ice was frequented on the table of Charles I in the 17th century. So it's very unclear as to who the first proprietor of ice cream was. But in the United States, since we are a relatively newer country compared to England and Rome and those countries, um, it was the Quakers who introduced the rest of the country to the deliciousness that is ice cream. And according to Wikipedia, our founding fathers, Ben Franklin, well, some of our founding fathers, 
Ben Franklin, George Washington, and Thomas Jefferson enjoyed treating themselves to this sweet treat. In fact, historians found in records kept by a merchant from Catham Street in New York that George Washington spent about $200 on ice cream in the summer of 1790. And I just have to say, I love ice cream, but I don't think I've ever spent $200 on it in a summer. I mean, that's that's got to be at least like a daily it's treat. It's a daily then, treat right? in the summer. I mean, if you're just looking at those 90 days. Yeah. That's a lot of money. I don't know. That's a lot of money spent on ice cream. You think but that was his favorite summer ever? I bet. It had to have been. Um, Thomas Jefferson had an 18-step recipe for ice cream, which if you click one of the links in our show notes, you can see that recipe and try and recreate it. And First Lady Dolly Madison served ice cream at her husband, um, James Madison's inaugural ball when he became president in 1813, when he was our fourth president. Um, And it wasn't until the 1840s that small-scale hand-cranked ice cream freezers were invented, and they were invented by two women, girl power, um, Agnes Marshall in England and Nancy Johnson in the United States. Um, And based on consumer surveys... The most popular ice cream flavors in North America are chocolate and vanilla. The most boring, but it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. They have their places. They have have their place. I did buy vanilla. No, I didn't buy vanilla ice cream. I was going to, and then I saw my favorite, which is mint chip. And I was like. I was there for that. Yes. Yes, you were. Um, But now as technology has become more advanced and ice cream has become less of a delicacy enjoyed by just the elite, it's now something that we can all enjoy on a hot summer's day because it's easier to make it. Um, And yeah, the total, here's a fun fact, today's total frozen dairy annual production in the United States alone is more than 6.4 billion pounds. That's so much ice cream. I bet George Washington would be just shocked and like filled with glee at the fact that we consume that much ice cream and that much frozen um dairy is and, created and the diversity of ice cream that oh my to choose gosh. from. Be so many emily what's your favorite flavor of ice cream so i i like mint chocolate chip but i have a very like soft spot for cookie dough because growing up that was always my favorite ice cream yeah jill what's your favorite um my favorite is vanilla because i'm because you, li- you like pie. I'm sure you can put it on pie. <laughs> and you can put it on pie. And yeah. Joe loves pie. You can pie. dress it I up, do. dress it down. I know. But I also do like um, just anything Ben and Jerry's. And we went, yes. we went there this summer and it was so exciting. Yeah. It was a, I, I have to say that $200 ice cream summer, I feel like it's a goal. <laughs> that it's is a goal. a goal. That's a goal. I'm yeah. trying to achieve. Actually, no, <laughs> that's the expensive goal. But uh, yeah, I love I love a mint chocolate chip for the nostalgic reasons for mm. me. And then if I'm going to get ice cream in the summertime, like George Washington, I'm going to go out in a boot and get some ice cream. Um, I love birthday cake. It's just so good. Jill's shaking her head. But you can't <laughs> eat it because it has probably a lot of blue food dye in it. But it's like it's your birthday every time you eat it. And your birthday is such a magical day. We should have, a, yeah, we should have an ice cream celebration. I love it. Those. Yeah, I'm down we with that. You could make a birthday cake you could eat and then just mash it into some vanilla ice cream. For that's essentially what they <laughs> oh, did, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's essentially what they're trying yeah. to accomplish. But anyways, to go back to answering your question, Charlie, uh, no. The same person did not invent ice cream and popsicles. And we don't know exactly who invented ice cream, but I'm pretty confident in saying that it wasn't 
Frank Epperson in California in 1905. So there we go. That's all the questions for today. Wow. What were your favorite facts that we learned today? Um, probably about specifically popsicles because uh, I'm, a, I'm a big popsicle fan. I liked learning about the way that they were kind of thought to be founded. That that could have happened to any child. Yeah, just I'm leaving sure, stuff outside. I'm sure that other people had maybe like made a popsicle, made a frozen treat For on a sure. stick. Yeah. But Frank was the first person that's like, you know what? I'm gonna make money. And good from on this. him. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna make money Thank on this. For it. Jill, um, I, everything was interesting today, but I just love pops icicles. That's just <laughs> yeah. great. That's that's fantastic. I like that his kids pushed it because the epsicles oh. does. It's not as good. Not, not as good. good. Not as good. Um, yeah, I think the learning about different teeth and like animals that have a lot of teeth like us, because I think I just kind of assumed that every mammal had baby teeth that they lost teeth but right. yeah not not true false facts have well, you ever seen your dog i was gonna say being dog yes. owners yes yeah, me too just weird shards of it's weird Very i don't weird. like it all right that, that's it yeah uh great job everyone thanks for listening to us um and we also thank you for all of your amazing questions and helping us to learn more about the world around us too for more information and to send us your own questions or more questions if you already sent some in at this point head to kdl.org forward slash stump and tune in next episode where we will answer more of those questions as always a huge and special thank you to the kdl service center um, for the podcasting room that's where we are this time the kdl marketing uh, department and jd delinsky for our intro music Bye. bye